Hello and welcome to Comedy in a Nutshell, the podcast chronicling one man's journey from comparative ignorance and mediocrity to relative knowledge and mediocrity. As I, your host, Mark DeCano, learn from those who know about life on the comedy circuit. And you, dear listener, learn how little I know about life on the comedy circuit. I love talking to people in and around the comedy world about comedy, and if you'd like to hear what they have to say as much as I do, then please remember to like, subscribe, rate, review, and share the podcast. Those of you who've listened to my conversation with the great Rich Wilson will remember our appreciation for my guest on this episode. He's been performing comedy since the 90s at numerous Edinburgh shows and all around the world. He may well be described as one of the nicest people in comedy, but for the purpose of this episode, we'll call him stand-up and musical comedian, Silky. Oh, you know what would be a good idea? It would be if I recorded this. <laughs> that would be an idea, wouldn't it? That's a thought. Well, that's three and a half hours. Neither of us will get back. Well, the good news is I, I realised that a minute in and not an hour in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love the idea of just kind of going back to older methods and I'm going to get a... a a parcel in the post with a string yeah. going out the parcel and all the way down the road. <laughs> and then I open the parcel and it's just a yoghurt pot or a tin can. Yeah. Please speak clearly into the yoghurt pot. I thought it was the technology that was embarrassing me, but no, I can do it very well myself. <laughs> We're using the old ways. So let's try this again. How did you get your start in comedy? I was blackmailed into comedy... Um, a friend of mine thought I was funnier than I did, which tends to be the case on account of imposter phenomenon. Mm-hmm. So I entered the BBC New Comedy Awards rather than have her make um, merchandise from photos she had. Nothing untoward the photos. <laughs> it was just me on the loo in Kilmarnock. Um, mm-hmm. But you don't want those on T-shirts and mugs. So I entered the competition and got to the final, which was my fourth gig. And it was the BBC New Comedy Awards mm-hmm. in 1995. And Daniel Kitson and uh, Julian Barrett. Uh, Julian Barrett won it. Uh, Lee Mack was in the final that year and some other lovely folks. Yeah. And it was um, a bit in at the deep end, which I, yeah. I haven't found anything more fun since. <laughs> was that a surprise to be a finalist at your first major outing, if you like? Um, I hadn't really been to see much stand-up comedy before I started doing it. I wasn't ever a comedy archivist or a yeah. uh, comedy nerd. Sorry, that post was filled. So I was <laughs> I was just playing, seeing what was fun. Yeah. And I've hopefully kept up that ethos ever since. Yeah. Yes. Was that a musical act then? Were you a musical comedian? Did you come to music first or did comedy first? Um, no music, music first. Um, mm. But I, I wouldn't have considered myself a musical act that early. Although I did play the Balron. Um, All right. You got me thinking now. No, it's <laughs> it's always kind of I've I was playing in bands and I was a bassist in a band. And while the guitarist was tuning up and preening, and the drummer was looking for lost sticks and bits that had dropped off his kit, <laughs> I could. Just talk to the audience because the bass is a fairly stable instrument, doesn't need a lot of tuning. <laughs> so it kind of grew. Yeah. And then the second band I was in, I was playing bass, and one of the other guys in that band um, went on to form Showstoppers. So it's. Oh, right. I am the luckiest man alive. I've been in the right place at the right time. Not to get fame or fortune, but 
I don't mm. particularly want fame or fortune because it means I can <laughs> lead a simpler life and not have yeah. people shouting garlic bread at me on the street. <laughs> Having been blackmailed into comedy, do you have did you have a, an idea of what that comedy would be? No, good God, no. Yeah. This hasn't been planned. Because... <laughs> uh, it was a long time before any kind of tactics or strategy came into what I was doing, and even then, I'm not, I'm not massively ambitious. Hmm. I know, I know what I enjoy doing. I've got an idea how to extend that, um, but in a way, I don't want to. There's, there's a lot of competitiveness that I managed to completely subvert. There's, there's, it, it's not as if there's a gang of us fighting over a finite amount of laughter. Right. It's like I, I describe it. I teach kind of comedy courses now, and I describe it as it's not all of us fighting over one pie. It's someone coming up with a recipe and sharing it, mm. and making more ingredients, finding more ingredients, and making lots and lots of different pies. Because when I started, <laughs> it was quite a kind of it was quite a kind of alpha male, but for beta males pursuit, there was a fair bit of toxicity. And right. nowadays the scene is still as bitchy and gossipy, but it's a lot more inclusive and it's spread out a lot and right. mostly for the better. Yeah. If you approach with kindness, then you're always going to have... I mean, there's always going to be someone there going, ah, you can fuck off, you're a knobhead. But that's in any walk of life. You could be a fly fisherman or a poet, and there's always going to be someone against you just because they're not happy in themselves. Whereas mm. with stand-up, you get to meet a group of strangers and have them happier for you having been there, sometimes happier for you having left. But <laughs> I, I take all that, take that rough with the smooth. Yeah. <laughs> so in those earlier days, just starting out in, in stand-up, did you have uh, a course of your own that you went on? Did you have a mentor? Did you have inspirations? Um, I didn't do a course. Uh, there weren't mm -hmm. really any, I don't think, at that time. Um, mm -hmm. And probably then I wouldn't have thought that it could be taught. Um, mentors, there were lots of comedians I enjoyed working with and enjoyed watching, mm. but I've always felt kind of different I suppose a bit of an outsider I don't I don't like going where everyone else is going so it took me a long time to get around to going back to the fringe in Edinburgh and doing that with any regularity yeah. um, Boothby Graffo said that I'd said why go where everyone else is going when everyone is going there and he said well if you've got one bookshop it'll close down if you've got two they might both close down whereas if you've got seven then you get hay on why <laughs> and have you ever been to hay on why and then what a kind of lovely cozy place that is for all the bookshops <laughs> i thought yeah that's a so basically what i'm looking for is the comedy equivalent of hay on why yeah <laughs> and are you finding that in edinburgh <laughs> I <don't> think... <laughs> no but i try and make it wherever i go yeah yeah, I think Edinburgh is a very, very good machine for extracting hope <laughs> and turning it into a pound-flavoured cordial. 
Mm, yeah. the, the amount the amount of money that goes into it for the amount of benefit that comes out of it, it is mm. it's a delicious scam. Yeah. It's a, how how far are you going to pursue that bad investment? Yeah. <laughs> I mean I live in I live in West Yorkshire and there's a million people within a half hour drive of where I live. So what I'm doing at the moment, I've got a little idea which is a hundred, a hundred and ten. If I can persuade a hundred people Hmm. to come to a gig a hundred times in a year and they're each willing to give me a tenner, then that's a hundred grand. <laughs> yeah. A <laughs> hundred grand that I've earned within striking distance of home. Yeah. So that keeps fuel costs low. It means I don't have to get hotels. It means I don't have to have nights away from home. Mm-hmm. And each of those is a slider, so I can go, okay, I'll do, you know, I might start with 50 gigs where 20 people will pay me a tenner, but that's still enough of a multiplier to yeah. make it worth my while. And that means like, if you drive down to insert big city and you do <laughs> a gig in big city, hmm. then by the time you've got there and got back, however you get there and get back, unless you hitchhike mm-hmm. or get a megabus and exhaust yourself. Yeah. <laughs> you're going to be out of pocket. So the more that you can make near by, near home, the more you can actually build a you can till the soil. Mm. You can make it fertile near where you are. And yeah. also there's a there's a load of great acts all around the country. So why the hell should I drive to Liscard in Cornwall when there are Cornish acts coming to Yorkshire? Yeah. Like, why don't we get in touch and do some sort of gig exchange and say, if you really want to come to Yorkshire, okay, you come and do a gig and bring a carload, but in return, I'll bring a carload of people from Yorkshire to Liscard, yeah. and we'll yeah. have that. We'll build communities that interact and support each other. Yeah. Rather than having more comedians turn the cars over on the motorway in the middle of the night because they're exhausted. Yeah. <laughs> Because they think it's it's worth driving twenty hours for hundred and twenty quid, and it's not. Because mm. yeah. that pointless busy work keeps you away from the the gold, the actual stuff which nourishes you as it challenges you. Mm. This is a fair bit deeper than you thought it was going to be. <laughs> oh, it's fantastic! Now um, I was just going to say that um, in contrast to that gentle philosophy. You've also toured and played all over the world. So, you know, uh, yeah. first of all, how is touring internationally and how does it compare to touring, uh, to playing shows at home? Um, if you weren't doing the gigs, you'd have a much better holiday. <laughs> but if you weren't doing the gigs, you wouldn't be there carrying a guitar. Fair enough. There's some amazing audiences. There are some where it's kind of like an international community gig and they're all starved yep. of entertainment there's somewhere it's basically dead-eyed expats saying let's show you where the prostitutes go it's like oh god no yeah. <laughs> um thinking back on kind of years of it i've been from like the falklands to the philippines and yeah. there's always stuff to watch and stuff to fill your tanks be it stuff that makes your heart sing or stuff that makes you go oh god people <laughs> but I've had so many wonderful experiences, eaten so much lovely food, seen so much kindness, and also yeah. seen so much idiocy. I was crossing the border between Cambodia, uh, between Vietnam and Cambodia, and mm. it's basically uh, there's uh, a river border, and then 
as you'd imagine a kind of communist center of entry to a country to be uh, and there are signs everywhere saying no cameras mm. no cameras kind of a, a picture of a camera with, in a red circle with a line through it and the American comedian that I was doing that tour with thought that would be a brilliant thing to have a photo of <laughs> and you just think seriously can you not and as as the armed men led him away i'm i'm the only other non cambodian or vietnamese head in the picture so obviously i'm i'm definitely with him so just, oh. yeah. <laughs> trying to explain in languages that neither of us spoke that this guy's a tit <laughs> this guy's the reason bleach bottles have got <laughs> childproof lids so what is Cambodian for tit? Did we establish that? No, no. Uh, was he ever seen again? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's right. It's just, have you ever been told off yes. right, as a child? Yeah, it was like that, <laughs> but with guns. So already is that kind of, oh, God, shame. And well, I went to a comprehensive, so there were, oh, some, yeah, yeah. there were some guns. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Me too, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, but it's that thing that I kind of, I'm just, I'm getting told off knowing that I've done nothing wrong. I'm, I just kind of yeah. kind of threw him under the bus, but it's just like, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm with stupid. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned um, the course that you, you run. Tell, tell me about that. How did that get started? Um, well, it's grown now. It's grown. We've been, mm. I've been teaching it kind of over eight years now and we've had I think this course intake we've got at the moment is going to have our 700th graduate on it's called Laugh at Leeds and it's mm -hmm. up in Leeds um, I've been running gigs and performing enough uh, familiar faces to say do you do you kind of like teach comedy do you run a comedy course I'm mm -hmm. like no why the hell would I do that <laughs> awful idea and then enough people <laughs> asked that I thought maybe there's something in it Um and it's not about stand-up comedy. It's about people finding confidence, finding creativity, and getting to give the best account of themselves. So mm. it's kind of grown and grown. And we do a beginner's improv course now and a continuing improv and a long-form improv alongside the staple, which is the beginner's stand-up. And it just mm -hmm. it's lots of different ways of reminding grown-ups that they were kids once and isn't play fun. Mm. Isn't it nice to play with your mates? <laughs> uh, and now we're doing a residential course. We're doing that in November in Llangollen uh, in North Wales. So that, yeah. from my point of view, with the imposter phenomenon, that feels like I'm... Because I've always been kind of self-employed, I don't know what it's like to go and ask for a promotion. So it's even worse <laughs> making that myself and not knowing, not knowing what the future holds. But it's kind of a levelling up to... Mm take people not just out of the lives for six Monday nights in a row, but out the lives for out of the lives for kind of a couple of full days. Yeah. And say, okay, let's let's do this immersive, let's do this intensive thing where you just it's called in at the deep end. And it's hmm. as in at the deep end for me as it is for the people on the course. But it's a yeah. beginner's stand up and beginner's improv course over kind of two and a half days. Yeah. And I'm really looking forward to it, but terrified as well. But yeah. I, 
what I hadn't anticipated is that law of unintended consequences I hadn't anticipated from running the courses that there'd be kind of a community of like-minded people who mm. centered on it. I mean, we've got so many people have found partners. We've got kind of laugh at Leeds babies. We've got <laughs> marriages. It's, I love the way that it's kind of spiraled off into, into the, the lonely night of adulthood, like stuff in a bubble chamber. And there are kind of people running gigs, there are people winning competitions and playing Glastonbury and doing the fringe and I just feel like a really proud comedy uncle. <laughs> yeah. So you mentioned uh being a finalist at the new comedy. You've also been a finalist for Leicester Mercury Comedian of the Year. Yes. Among other things, other other awards and nominations and finals. I mean, how are competitions for you? What do you what do you see in them? What do you get out of them, realistically? Um, like, hopefully it's come across. I've never been competitive. The competitions I've mm. entered have been a kind of, all right, let's see how I hold up yeah. in a competitive environment because I'm not competitive. So I uh, was joint runner-up. Um, I think it was myself and Jason John Whitehead mm -hmm. were joint runners-up to Jason Manford at the Leicester Mercury. Yeah. Um and Jimmy Carr was unplaced, so it's nice to know that <laughs> he's taken that and gone on to own property all over the place and have financial security. But yeah. the other competition, like the most recent competition I did was the um, Musical Comedy Awards in 2019, 2020, before all the yeah. pandemic. Mm -hmm. And I got to the final of that, and it was tremendous fun because I'm I'm not a young guy anymore but there were young people coming through with wildly different skill sets wildly different ideas mm. and it's just lovely to be whilst not in the same mold but at a similar level watching them do their stuff right and uh it was the inaugural Yorkshire Comedy Awards this year and I got voted the uh comedy legend which felt really really nice but also oh god how long do I have? <laughs> uh, yeah. I like the idea of competitions, but I know that yeah. there's always going to be more talent than prizes in competitions. Yeah. So if I've got any advice on competitions, it would be if you want to do it, do it, but hmm. make sure you keep a mailing list. <laughs> make sure the people who like what you do can get in touch with you. And you yeah. can get in touch with them and tell them the next time you're nearby because that will benefit you as much, if not more, than a competition win. Yeah. Make your own audience and treat them with respect. Yeah. Hold tight to them. Because the people who really like what you do and will come and see you twice are the mm. people who will buy you your first house. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm still renting, but I've got the, <laughs> I've got the optimism. <laughs> Um, so I think the last full show I saw you do was um, your 2019 Edinburgh show, Sound of the Baskervilles. Yes. I saw you do that. Actually, it was at Leicester Comedy Festival at the Laughter Loft. Yes, I was there this Saturday, just gone. Ah, Such fantastic. a good room. Such a good room. Yeah. I was talking to uh, Rich Wilson about it, and as soon as I mentioned that the venue, he said, oh, it's, it's like one of the best venues to be. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, it's awesome. It's awesome. Yeah. How was that show for you? Because every time you do, you've done a number of Edinburgh shows, every time you do a new show, is it 
does it overshadow your previous work? Are you too excited about the new one or are you just, you know, how does it come together for you? Um, the way I did Edinburgh, it started that I'd kind of do a show, a new show at the stand and the previous year's show at the uh, PBH Free Fringe. So I was going up right. with two different hours. Yeah. And that, I think that went from 2012 to 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, 2019, I only did half a run. Uh, my partner's birthday is in August, and right. as it was her fortieth, uh, I thought, Do you know what, I've I've missed her birthday <laughs> often enough that I should really try and be a half decent boyfriend. So <laughs> I did. Um, I did the previous year's show. Well, you've done it again, and then the mm-hmm. sound of the Baskervilles, and finished kind of a, a half run. Yeah. And then was just walking down the road, just bumping into comedians and just seeing them kind of staggering like they were being directed by George A. Romero. Ah. <laughs> have you have you finished? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm done. Oh, okay, and when's your show tomorrow? No, no, I'm I'm done. I'm going on holiday. You fucker! <laughs> Why join us? <laughs> yeah. I, I was, I was re- like, like I say, I'm the luckiest man alive. But I'm really fortunate to have had that long relationship with both the stand and with the PBH Free Fringe that mm. allowed me to do that. Because yeah. I think they, that model was possibly the best way of doing the fringe. Mm. Because I'm small scale, I don't have massive PR. I wouldn't spend massive money on PR. It's right. it, you can you can always spend beyond your budget. Because someone will say, oh, yeah, I've got a diamond encrusted. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an arsehole sign. But we could do one that's a platinum uh, diamond encrusted. I'm an arsehole sign. Like, oh, yeah, so that's, oh, yeah, it's diamond and platinum. <laughs> I think that the money's better spent on developing yourself and your own fan base. Because Edinburgh's a really good way of making uh, an audience who are geographically very dilute. Hmm. And my joy is live performance rather than having a TikTok account and hmm. just pumping it out. Yeah. There's, I used to be a biologist and there's two sorts of ways of having offspring broadly, uh, pea selection and R selection. And one of them is you like kind of monkeys or birds, you have a hmm. small number of offspring and you put a lot of care into them. So monkeys have very few, birds will have a clutter of eggs. Mm-hmm. And then you get to the other end of the the other end of the kind of spectrum and like a like a sea urchin just blowing eggs into the tide. Just <laughs> millions and millions and millions and millions, knowing that yeah, you don't give a fuck about any of them, but a couple mm. of them will find purchase somewhere. Yeah. So it's that I'd rather put the effort in with people I can bump into the next day and go, oh, I hope you enjoyed the show last night, rather than mm. have people say, I saw you, I, I I paid to see you three years ago, uh, 150 mm. miles from your house. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is it's, it's flattering. It's lovely to be kind of remembered and hopefully thought highly of. Did you enjoy the show? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was fantastic. I loved it. Oh, thank you. You offered me a lift when you left. Did you remember that? I remember that. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I don't always murder someone at a gig, but (laughs) 
Yeah, Ailstone's a little bit of a way out of a... It's a little bit, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, oh, and then uh, I think the last time I saw you was in Cambridge last year. You were doing a spot for uh, on uh, Kev's Comedy Kitchen. Do you remember that? Oh, God, yes. In that tiny little field. Comedy Festival, yeah. Field off the side of a field. Yeah, you had to basically stumble through undergrowth to get there. Yeah. And then there were some very, very drugs people and then some noise ingress. And then yes. I think the farmer started mowing. <laughs> and then the American Air Base was doing the drills. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Great times. Great times. <laughs> Happy days. Yeah, that's that's commitment to comedy, knowing that, that you're effectively sitting in mud unless you had the presence of yeah. mind to bring. <laughs> yeah, I did have a chair with me, <laughs> one of the few. Yeah, but it, it kind of, it would, because the ground was so soft, you just gently tilt to one side. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> the fun of that festival for me was the fact that I, I was staying with a couple of old uni mates um, mm in Ely, so not too far away. But mm. because I was doing uh, the kids' comedy as well, I got yeah. um, kind of access all areas, passes from my friends, but their kids as well. So there was a, a, like a backstage area with a, a pond, and it was a clear water pond for swimming in. So the kids were like, well, you know, the comedy's all very well. Yeah, ha, 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 with the jokes. But, oh, my God, there's a backstage area with a bar and we can go for a swim. And obviously, because it was kind of early <laughs> afternoon, not many comedians were either awake or awake and feeling the need to no. uh, <laughs> take take the edge off with a morning loosener. So my mate's kids were just kind of swimming around this pond going, this is absolutely brilliant. Is this what it's like for you all the time? And I was like, yeah. Yeah, so many, so many gigs have got a backstage pool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, kids, it's time to leave the comedy festival. We're still swimming. (laughs) (laughs) Do you um, still go and watch other comedians, other stand-ups or other performers? Um, I tend to, if I'm... If I'm doing circuit gigs and I'm not doubling, I will tend to kind of get there in good time for a sound check and then kind of sit and watch folks. Um, Mm. Yeah, I'm quite... Unexpectedly, I, I mate had a couple of extra tickets to go and see Bill Bailey at the Leeds First Direct Arena, mm-hmm. and he was headlining the first gig I ever did, which was like a kind of eighty hundred seater up in Scotland, mm-hmm. um, kind of student union little room, and seeing <laughs> seeing that progression, mm-hmm. I was thinking there's not a great secret to this. It's just basically you've got a bigger stage, and you can put more stuff on it. Yeah. <laughs> I like I like it when good people do well. Mm. There's a few people that think you don't deserve oxygen let alone success. But I keep that I keep that to myself. <laughs> I I watch I think I've seen more improv recently than comedy. Mm. But stand up needs a bit of a shake up. Because when you think how many people laugh every day, I mean, proper belly laugh, gut-rocking laughter, where they're wiping their eyes and they'll remember that laugh, if not what caused it, for Mm. a long time. That kind of the freedom to just be out of the world and the contumely and the hurly-burly just for those five minutes where you can't see straight laughing. Mm. 
what a tiny percentage of those laughs are in comedy clubs mm. under stage lighting with someone on stage. Yeah. And yet stand-up comedians think they're some sort of magic wizards in charge of everything. <laughs> and some of them are. Some of them can be genuinely life-changing. Yeah. But we're basically sweary clowns. We're swearing at people for money. Sounds <laughs> <That was> great. <laughs> <laughs> Please love me. <laughs> and the instant you realise that, it's very freeing. You are there to tit around. Mm. And sometimes you can get a good point in, but sometimes people of the far right could get a good point in if they had enough of a sense of humour. Mm. So you are graced with people's attention. Yeah. People trust you yeah. to give them that gift of laughter. And mm. that, it's, yeah, it blows my mind. It blows my mind. That I've been doing it as long as I have, and I'm not hungry. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned the pandemic, so oh, had, that thing, yeah. Do you remember that that time when comedy was on hiatus? Yes. I mean, how did that go for you? Were you able to get work? Were you able to do online Zoom gigs, that sort of thing? And um, I did. I did a big mix of stuff, and one of the mm. first things I did was realise that if you're not driving 20,000 miles a year, mm. life's a bit cheaper. If you're yeah. not staying in hotels and eating on the road yeah. there and back, life's a bit cheaper. Also, I hadn't had that many nights in my own bed, probably since I was a kid, and even then I'd go and stay with my nan and granddad, or I'd go and stay and have sleepovers with friends. So... <laughs> It was a beautiful reinforcement of the fact I'm the luckiest man alive and that yeah. my girlfriend likes me and I'm good at cooking so I could make nourishing meals and she, because she was working all the way through, she was a key worker, I could make sure that she was fed and as rested as possible and yeah. I could read books and I could think, I could sit with a guitar. I started teaching guitar online. Mm -hmm. I was doing some of the comedy courses online and some Zoom gigs. Mm -hmm. But more than anything else, I paused mm. and reflected because I was I was talking with a comic called Nick Page. Have you interviewed Nick Page? Um, no, I've not as yet. No. He's, yeah, he's a tremendously interesting character mm -hmm. and yeah, would make a grand interviewee. Mm. But he was saying that his his wife's parents had taken something back from conversation with me that they told people about a dinner party in America. There <laughs> were we were a, a, a kind of a kind of summer barbecue at mm. his and his wife's place out in the countryside, and there was this kind of this thing going round the table. What would your superpower be? Mm. And I went, Oh, I've got mine. <laughs> but, <laughs> well, I don't see you leaping into the air to fight crime. I said, no, but I know what my superpower is. I know what enough feels like. Mm. I've I've got enough, and I know what that feels like. Yeah. Because if you think of all the people who strive for something more than they've already got, mm. it's always going to be destructive because you'll never reach the end of that road. Mm. But I know what enough is. And over lockdown, over the pandemic, I tried to share that enough with as many people as it was practical to do mm. without seeing them. 
emotionally, I've got enough that I can be uh, a friendly ear or a shoulder to cry on. Hmm. Because I'm not chasing a new car. I'm not chasing a big telly. I'm not chasing my own TV series. Yeah. I've got a load of people around me who trusted me to say, come out and play. Yeah. And that's, I mean, it would be nice to see my name in lights outside <laughs> a big theatre, but that's got its own problems because you've got to get all those people into the theatre. You've got to look after their safety. And if one of them's cats died that day and they just happened to be sat in the front row and you see someone in a theatre of 10,000 people, you don't see the 9,999 9, people wetting themselves. You just see the one person on the front row with a face like thunder. <laughs> so as a as a person who runs a comedy course, as a teacher of lessons, what are the lessons that you've learned in your career? Uh, men, shut up. <laughs> yeah, big one. Um, Stand-up comedy isn't about jokes. There's a, a comic, Martin Big Pig, Martin Moore, um, and he's a tremendous comic. Uh, we had a falling out a few years ago, but it doesn't take away from how good a comic he is. And how mm. He basically said that if you tell a joke... If they like it, you've got to tell another joke. If they don't like it, then you've got to tell them another joke. Mm-hmm. And in the course, the way I teach it is that it's, oh yeah, it's good to be funny, but mm. if you are yourself, then the funny will come more naturally out of what it is that makes you funny. Not how funny you are, but how you are funny. And it's more important to be interesting because that way you're holding people's attention and they're used mm. to listening to you yeah. rather than going down a route of, listen up, fuckers, I'm the next amazing thing. It's like, <laughs> okay, how the hell are you going to back that up and keep mm. it backed up? Unless you are that you know, golden child chosen one who is the next big thing. Mm. It's, it's better to be good at being you. Yeah with generosity and kindness. Yeah. Like my favourite things, I, I was doing a gig in, where was it? Oh, in Llangollen in North Wales on Friday and Nina Gilligan was headlining and there was a heckle. A lady had had a little bit to drink, but the heckle, it wasn't a hostile heckle. Mm. And Nina took it and repeated it so the entire audience got on board with it. And it was really, really funny. It was really funny. Mm. And then... She incorporated it into her own act and then carried on with that extra laugh that she'd had the generosity to let someone else have while she's Mm. doing a headline set. And the idea of kind of, I've seen lots of comedians, if someone had heckled like that, then it would have put their backs up that someone else was stealing their laughter. (laughs) And yeah, that kindness and that generosity. But yeah, keep a mailing list. Mm. Keep in touch with the people who like doing what you do. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, men, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> if you – I see so many kind of comedians kind of on various forums and stuff going, I'm available for this, I'm available for this, I do this, I want this, I want, I want, I want, I want. Mm. And I see so little of people saying, you should book them, you should book her, you should book – have you seen this new act? Yeah. Or I can bring them, or this is a good car share. Yeah. And it's that amplification that will be the saviour of the circuit because times are going to be hard. 
Mm. And disposable income is going to be thin on the ground. And comedy is fragile for that. Yeah. But it's precious. Anthony Mangella, the screenwriter, he wrote, um, he did the screenplay for uh, The English Patient and Truly Madly Deeply and a lot of Inspector Moore stuff. He was an amazing writer. But he said that we are a luxury and in that sense, a necessity. And he was talking about the arts. But mm. stand-up comedy alone amongst the arts, you can have an idea as it's on the way out of your mouth. <laughs> and sculptors don't get to do that. Once you've ordered a big fuck-off block of marble, <laughs> you can't just twat away at it yeah. and hope. But the main difference between stand-up comedy and anything else you might consider an art form, I'm not going to kind of flower it up. It's basically, please love me, sweary <laughs> clowns. But you can have an idea and it be on the way out of your mouth before it's finished. But you are then there in the room with the audience for what you're producing. Whereas a painter doesn't sit in the gallery with his painting. Mm. He doesn't have to be there while people consume what it is that he's done. The sculptress doesn't have to be there in a public park. Barbara Hepworth, I don't know how many of her sculptures she just kind of stood next to for ages. I did that. <laughs> I'm responsible for that. I'd, I'd like that about stand-up more than anything else about stand-up, really, that you have mm. to... do. It's the. Have you seen the Wallace and Gromit film, The Wrong Trousers? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah, so, yeah. You know the, the 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 kind of chase at the end where it's on a model train going around <laughs> a house, and there's a bit where Gromit is lying on the roof of the train engine as it's hurtling along, and he's got a box of track and he's <laughs> placing the track in front. He's putting the track down in front of the train as it's hurtling along. You yeah. can do that with stand up. But you can't do that with opera. <laughs> That's a fantastic analogy. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers. I hope I remember it. <laughs> you said something there uh, a few minutes ago about being yourself. Are you conscious of when you're performing that it's very much that you are representing you? You're not being a uh, a character on stage. You're not um, acting. You are putting your oh, truth yeah. across my truth oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah as soon as you know that thing about as it comes out of your mouth yeah <laughs> oh. i'm gonna cut oh, that mate. bit out no no leave that in leave that in <laughs> no for hey, the, my truth <laughs> get, your, get your truth out for, for the lads <laughs> oh god <laughs> yeah, see you see it could be worse it could have been worse <laughs> toxic self-awareness there you go god i'm ashamed of myself the thing is, there's lots of kind of bald blokes in the late 40s. <laughs> but if I've been on a stage and someone's either taken issue with something I've said or found something deeply profound in something I've said, mm -hmm. I've got to be responsible for it. Yeah. That's the that's the, the price you pay for, you know, getting a few hundred people to hang off your every word. Mm -hmm. You've got to make sure your words are worth hanging off or just scatter jokes around the place. People yeah. get so annoyed if they don't find someone funny at a comedy club. Mm. So annoyed, like properly, properly piss-boiling livid. I'm not a kind of 
gentle rolling simmer with like a milk pan up and over the sides. Yeah. Because it's like it's it, it's like an affront. It's a you've threatened them personally with stuff that they paid for, and you said, and they didn't find funny. And mm-hmm. rather than going, oh well, there's another act on after the break, or did you enjoy the compare? It's, I mean, you don't hear of anyone going, you know that I went to see that David Hockney exhibition and. I swear to God, I'm going to knock the fucker out. <laughs> what? <laughs> you, you're going to find you're going to find the artist and wait outside the outside the art gallery for them and threaten them with violence. <laughs> wow. Yeah. How about that? I mean, that happens vanishingly rarely. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, you see. You see examples of people taking comedy the wrong way. <laughs> Have you got enough here to edit into five good minutes? I, I was going to say I could get ten out of this. <laughs> once I cut, once I cut out everything I said, it's going to be a oh, much better. The, the shining <laughs> of a gong. I was speaking to, as I said, I spoke to Rich Wilson, who sings your praises highly. Um, and he used words like nice and gentle. And you've used the word kindness more times than everyone else I've spoken to put together. So from everything that you've said, I think this is true. But you carry this sort of sp- spirit of giving and sharing and generosity. Is that important to you in, in, a, yeah. in a performance, in, in a career? Yeah, 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 yeah. If, I, I heard it years ago. If you want to go fast, you go alone. But if you want to go far, you go with a group. And stand-up comedy is this thing that I've stumbled upon. And what I do is I kind of, if I'm in a room with a load of strangers, I'm trying to find out what it is in them that chimes with what it is in me. So it's basically I'm not imposing comedy on people. Mm. I'm saying and doing stuff that lets them kind of open up and go, hey, I found that in my own in my own life. Mm. Rather than saying, this is my joke, you laugh at my joke, and if you don't laugh at my joke, fucker, I'm going to take issue with it. It's, yeah, an audience is a conspiracy, and you have to have everyone on board, and it'll go further. Yeah. Is there any moment in your career thus far that you've, that's been a most standout part of your career? Do you think this is, this is why I'm in, this is why I do what I do? All of them? <laughs> Yeah, if you, it's not a fireworks display. Yeah, it, I mean, you can you can want it to be a fireworks display, mm. but it's the it's that little by little. You try and put stuff in every day. And I, I mean, I'd celebrate the successes of people, but that's not for me. Mm. I have to show up every day. And it's it's trying to be consistent rather than aiming for mm. something. Because if you like, if you swim for the horizon, you'll drown. You'll never make it to the horizon. Mm. Whereas if you concentrate on the process, not the outcome, then you end up a much better swimmer. <laughs> and you might be able to go. Ah, I'm going in the wrong direction here. I can turn around and make it back to the shore before I get too tired. <laughs> <laughs> 
I love I love that I get to do this. I love that yeah. I get to make people laugh and help people laugh and help people be happier versions of themselves. Because hmm. it's a being alive is a terrifying concept. We're basically cows with the internet. <laughs> I mean, a lot of us have been herded into a field here and there. And we don't know what's waiting for us, and we're not sure where we came from. And this philosophy and science, and we're scared animals. <laughs> and we know that we and everyone we love and everyone we hate and everyone we've ever met and a load of people we'll never meet and mm. even the little kids that you see being pushed around in buggies are all going to die. And having that understanding, hmm. why wouldn't you try and make people laugh? Why the hell wouldn't you try and... Why wouldn't you pull faces at a kid in a cafe? <laughs> why wouldn't you make light of that? Because it's yeah. the one shared experience we have, is that the moments of levity mm. are like taking a deep breath. Before you start swimming. Again. <laughs> again, yeah. Swim again. The tide. <laughs> yeah, I don't think anyone's ever been murdered by someone with a really good sense of humour who gets to stretch those muscles. Yeah. I don't think anyone's ever been defrauded out of their life savings by someone with a really good sense of humour. <laughs> Um, what have you got ahead? What's coming up? Where can we see you? Where can we find out about you? Um, well, if there's places left, the Inn at the Deep End course is in Llangollen between the 15th and 18th of November. If you have mm -hmm. a look at laughatleeds.com, there's information there. Um, I've got a mailing list that I would like people to join if they mm -hmm. like what I do, which is you can find that at silkythecomedian.com. Yeah. Don't go to silky.com. That is nothing to do with me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the last time I checked, it was a wildly different proposition. <laughs> but I'll be gigging about the place. Uh, I've got a Kofi. I don't have a Patreon. Mm -hmm. Just, yeah, get in touch. Let me know how you're doing, and I'll let you know if I'm gigging anywhere near you. I appreciate that this podcast is listened to all over the world, so I'm less likely to be doing any <laughs> international flights. <laughs> But yeah, thank yeah. you for having me on. It's been it's been a yeah. lot of me talking. Jesus. Well, I don't want to hear me talking. What am I going to say? <laughs> uh, interesting, insightful stuff. What's, well. what, what is it that you love about stand-up comedy? What is it that you kind of makes you take extra time out of your days when you're not at gigs? <laughs> it's just because there's there's so much noise, and you just got to you need an hour to just have people tell you what the lighter side of it all is, whether they're satirising what's going on or whether they're just talking about something completely abstract and crazy. It just blocks out all the everything that's going on, all the things you've got to think about, all the stuff you've got to do, everything that's going on in the world, and it yeah. just sort of blocks it all out for just for an hour and says, hey, here, here's a, here's a bit of a laugh. Just take yeah. it, it just takes you out of yourself. And lets you stop and take a it's breath. A, it's addictive, yeah. Yeah, it yeah. really is. Well, that's what it, comedy is for me in a nutshell. What is comedy to you in a nutshell? 
<laughs> Beautifully segued. <laughs> yeah, that was, I mean, that was, that was Tony Blackburn levels of radio smooth. Uh, there's a coffee shop around the corner from where I live. And I go in there. It's good coffee. It's nice people. And the food's really nice. I'm really lucky. There's a couple of nice places near where I live, where I kind of go and pass a bit of time. Mm-hmm. And there was a little kid who came in with a mum. And I just turned around. I got quite a serious face. I was wearing my hat. took my hat off and bowed very solemnly. And the kid was like, looking, who the hell's this? And I just went, <laughs> and then ordered me lunch. And the, the kid, I heard this little, from behind me, and I turned around. <laughs> so this kid and I start blowing raspberries at each other, just very kind of, <laughs> and his mum was like, he's really shy. He's re- what's, and we've kind of bumped into each other just a few times. And this kid always just comes out of himself. The last time I saw him, he went kind of a full-blown kind of whoopee cushion under a hydraulic press. (laughs) (laughs) Into this... (laughs) It's just that little bit of daftness. Because there's obviously people in the cafe going, oh, black raspberry. But there's kind of the staff in there and a couple of the customers are going, where did that come from? It's like, we we know each other from prison. (laughs) 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 Just... Being weird, why why wouldn't you try and make someone's day a little cheerier? Yeah. And uh, a kid that I've bumped into a few times, just letting on to me in a cafe and then blowing a massive raspberry, apropos of completely nothing, as far as everyone else in the cafe is concerned. That's comedy in a nutshell. Beautifully put. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you, Silky. It's been an absolute pleasure having you talking to me. I really appreciate it. You're very welcome. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you for not yawning audibly. <laughs> I'm glad that you remembered to switch it on. <laughs> Eventually. I'll, now I'll try and remember to switch it off. In three, two, <laughs> one, and cut it. <laughs> Thank you. Take care. I'll see you soon, Mark. Take care.